Hey, this is Graham, and I'm so pumped you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online campus at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can create a profile and engage and connect with other Grace members all around the world. So we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. Today, um, I was really wrestling with the message to share. I had actually intended to uh, turn our attention to a new series, but uh, I, I listened to a message about prayer well over a month ago. It's not unusual for me to listen to many messages about the message I'm going to be sharing uh, on a particular Sunday or a series, but there's one particular message that stood out to me, and it just kept resonating in my spirit. And after a while, I recognized, okay, Holy Spirit, I think this might be the message that we should uh, bring this season uh, to kind of cap it and kind of launch us into the next season. Is that okay if I share that message with you here today? And so that's what I want to share with you today. I want to talk to you about the lifestyle of prayer. How do we build a lifestyle of prayer? Now, if I ask everybody do you know you need to pray? We would say yes. Do we know that when we pray, God moves? All the spiritual people say, of course he does. And if I said, you know, when we pray, God gives us victory, God gives us power, God gives us hope, God gives us strength. All the spiritual people on Sunday morning would say, yes, that's right. And so if we know that to be true, then why don't we pray all the time? What if, instead of just having a season of prayer, what if all of us built a lifestyle of prayer? And it was foundational, and it was just a given in our lives. Now, let me, let me start here with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul said, rejoice always, pray in January for 21 days. That's not in the Bible. He said, pray continually. And the New Living Translation says, never stop praying. And Jesus said in Luke 18, he says, we should always pray. Even in February and March and April. And, and let me just pause for a second and say, Groundhog Day is less than two weeks away. Come on, somebody. Right? And so let's pray now for spring to come early. We should pray. And, and today's big idea is, is really simple. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Prayer should be something that's part of our lives, uh, a regular part of our lives, a lifestyle that we all live. I'm convinced, as your pastor, the very best thing that I can teach you and equip you in 2021 is to be a prayer. There's lots of issues that people are dealing with in 2021. Issues with health, issues with family, issues with uh, mental health, issues with anxiety, issues with, uh, uh, all, there's all kinds of stuff. I, and we need to address all of those things as, as we will. But if I just took one Sunday, week after week, and dealt with one particular issue that we're all facing, we might be done in 2030. So what's the one thing, if I teach you, will make a difference 
in all of those areas. It's this one right here. I wish you were with me today. This, this has the power to change your life. This has potential to change your life. We've got to approach prayer much differently than we have in the past. I heard a story the other day of a man who encountered a bit of trouble while he was flying his airplane. He called the control tower and said, pilot to tower. I'm 300 miles from the airport. I'm 600 feet above the ground and I'm out of fuel. I'm descending rapidly. Please advise. Over. Tower to pilot. The dispatcher began. Repeat after me. Our father who art in heaven. Now, we need to pray when, uh, uh, when we're in a crisis. We need to pray when we're in trouble. But we also need to pray when we're not in trouble. We need to pray all the time. And so that's what I want to talk to you about, building a lifestyle of prayer. What does it mean to live a lifestyle of prayer? I want you to look at what Jesus described in John chapter 15. He really gives us a picture of prayer. He says, remain in me. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Do you see the word remain is, is in there a lot? He goes, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. So Jesus is painting this picture that my spiritual life, your spiritual life, is kind of like a tree or, or a vine. And so uh, you, you've got to stay, the, the branch has to stay connected to the tree in order for it to live. The vine has to be connected to, or the branch has to be connected to the vine in order for it to live. Anybody ever uh, trim brush, right, or prune things from your flowers? Whatever is, is not connected, it dies. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this, this is where Jesus, I think, is painting a, a very clear picture that if you try to live the Christian life without prayer, without connecting with God, without talking with God, God talking to you, he goes, you're, you're going to accomplish zip, nothing, nada. Martin Luther said, trying to live the Christian life without praying is trying to live without breathing. Are you getting this? So, Paul, so Jesus said, you got to remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Okay? So I think he's talking about a lifestyle of prayer. So how do we take a season of prayer and how do we turn it into a lifestyle of prayer? That's what I want to teach you for the next few moments and then we're going to pray. So if I'm going to make prayer a lifestyle in my, in my life, then I've got to make praying a priority. I've got to make praying a priority. A great example of this is Daniel in the Old Testament. If you remember the story of Daniel, uh, Daniel was a young man in Israel. Babylon invades Israel, takes him out of Jerusalem to Babylon, and he's following God. But here comes this law that the king makes that if you pray to anyone but the king, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. Anybody remember that story? So when Daniel learned that the decree had been published about not praying to God, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. 
Now, I want you to notice that from the life of Daniel, we see what it's like to make prayer a priority in your life. He had developed the habit of prayer every day of his life. He prayed three times. What that means is on his calendar, on his day timer, on his phone, on his schedule, prayer time number one, prayer time number two, prayer time number three. He was very serious about making prayer a priority in his life. And whatever time it was for prayer, he would stop whatever he's doing. He would go to his room. He would open his windows and he would pray. So he prayed when he was in Jerusalem before his life got turned upside down. He prayed three times a day. And when his life does get turned upside down in Babylon, he's still praying three times a day. That's a picture of all of us that we need to pray when things are going great. And we need to pray when things aren't going great. We need to pray when everything around us is blessed. Oh, I don't need to pray. Yes, you do. Right? Or, and I need to pray when it seems like my whole world's falling apart. We need to pray and make it a priority in our lives. And I want you to notice that Daniel would rather spend a night in a den of lions than to go for a day without praying. He would rather risk his life than to go a day without praying. That's why prayer is so important. And so the principle here is if we're gonna build a lifestyle of prayer, we've gotta make it a priority. We've gotta put it on our calendar. We've gotta set a time that we're gonna pray, at least once a day. Some of you can pray more often than that. But let me encourage you that whatever time of day is best for you, you designate that as your prayer time. Now, some of you are morning people. God bless you, all right? And that is your best time to pray. Some of you, the morning is the worst time of day for you. You're not even awake until 1130. You may be physically, your eyeballs may be open, but how many know you're not there? All right. And your best time of day is afternoon or lunchtime or evening or even before you go to bed. Uh, some of you just need to be delivered of the idea that if you don't pray first thing in the morning, then you're not going to pray at all. Imagine my relationship with Tracy. Hey, never got a chance to talk to you this morning. I'll try it again tomorrow. I mean, no, we'd, be, we'd be seeing a counselor, right? That, that, that would be some serious problems. Um, I, I'll never forget uh, a few years ago, I was in college, went to a Bible college, and I, I went to school with a thousand students preparing for ministry. It was an incredible time. We had chapel every day going to pause right there. Went to church every day. At the beginning of the semester, they would bring in this speaker and, and it was called Spiritual Emphasis Days. I mean, and we were just fired up. We are going to win the world for Jesus. We are going to take the world by storm. Kind of like that guy on the prayer video. Yeah. So I decided I'm going to get up at five o'clock every day and I'm going to pray for an hour. I'm going to do this. And my 19-year-old self made three days <laughs> of that. I, I'm just trying to tell you, it's not about the time of day. It's about making prayer a priority. So if you're taking notes, let me ask you to write this down. What time is my best time for prayer? What time is my best time for prayer? Go ahead and write that down and make that happen. And then if we're going to make prayer a lifestyle, then I got to make a place for prayer. 
I got to find a place for prayer. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I found it interesting a few years ago, I, I had the chance to visit Israel. And one of the things that you realize is that the geography of Israel is very much part of the Bible. Because you realize that Jesus spent a lot of time traveling around from town to town. But everywhere he went, he found a place of prayer. Now, some Bible scholars say that Jesus' favorite place or most common place that he would go to pray is the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where he would pray the night before he was crucified. I had the chance to visit the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, uh, it was very emotional. You walk out into that garden and you realize this is where Jesus stood and this is where he prayed great drops of blood. And it's amazing because you're standing in the Garden of Gethsemane and you realize the proximity that Jesus was to Jerusalem. Literally, the, the Garden of Gethsemane is kind of down in a valley. The city of Jerusalem is literally less than a mile this way to his left. And he would just look up and see the place where he would die the next day. It's powerful. The point is, is that we all have to have a place of prayer. Now, for some of you, your place of prayer is walking in the woods. I mean, you and God in nature, you are one. God bless you, right? For some of you, your place of prayer is walking in your neighborhood or your treadmill or your Peloton or whatever it is. Your place of prayer could be your closet, like the story, the, the movie, The War Room. It could be uh, at your kitchen table. It could be your favorite chair, it, whatever it is. It could be the desk at your office. Uh, one of my wife's favorite places to pray is while she's playing the piano. And whenever I see her doing that, I get very jealous because I can't play the piano. You know, I can't play anything, but I can play my phone. So when I pray, I, you know, I have to pull up Spotify and, you know, worship soaking music and blah, blah, blah. And that, that, that's pretty good. But I'm like, I want to play the piano. And in heaven, I'm going to play the piano. I just want you to know that. All right. So if you're taking notes, write this down. What is my best place for prayer? Now, for some of you, it's while you're driving. Well, let me just encourage you. A public service announcement. Don't close your eyes when you pray. You're welcome. So if we're going to have a lifestyle of prayer, I need to make it a priority. I got to find a place, but I need a plan as well. And that's what we've been teaching you for these last three weeks. You got to have a plan for prayer. When it comes time to pray, I'm going to do more than pray about what comes to mind. I'm going to do more than just pray whenever I feel like it. Because what's what you're going to find if you pray that way, sometimes you're going to feel like it. And a lot of times you're not. And so when we come to prayer with a plan, we realize something can, very powerful can happen. And so uh, this is why we've created the prayer book. So it has all kinds of different ways to pray. And uh, we've taught you the Lord's Prayer, the tabernacle as a pattern of prayer. The armor of God was last Sunday. All this past week, the prayer of Jabez, uh, praying with the apostle Paul, how to pray from scripture. What are we trying to do? You got to have a plan for prayer. Now, so you can take your prayer book and you can pray through one of those every day. You can pray, you can pray uh, one of those uh, separately each day. Uh, you may want to take a notebook or one of those moleskin books and write down answers to prayer or make your prayer list and you know, make a list for your family. Make, you know, you're going to pray for your neighbors. You're going to pray for people in your life don't know Jesus. You're going to pray for your small group members. 
One of the reasons that we want everybody to be part of a small group at Grace is because our vision is, is that uh, if you're part of a small group, your small group leader is praying for you every day. I want you to imagine what it's like. Somebody's lifting you up before Jesus every single day. That's why we want you to be part of a group so that we make sure that everybody is prayed for. Amen, everybody? And see, when you bring a plan into prayer, what you're going to find is that is that prayer becomes much more than just something you get through. It becomes very powerful. It becomes very, uh, very, uh, very, very good in your life, okay? And so let me bring you to the last one here. Uh, and I think this one has the power to change prayer from a have to to a get to. I think if you get this part, this one's gonna change your prayer life, but it's really gonna change your whole life. So if you, just, if you haven't yet locked in, would you, would you just lean in for the next five, 10 minutes? Because I think this is, this is really what God wants us to hear and see here today. Because how we approach God in prayer is going to determine the quality of our relationship with God. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So, uh, how do we approach God in prayer? We approach God personally. For some of us, we have the wrong view of God, so we approach God in the wrong way. We approach God formally. We approach God religiously. But how many know prayer should be anything but those things? Prayer is supposed to be very personal. And the reason is, is because we are addressing all three persons of the Trinity. Now, have you ever wondered why does God reveal himself as a Trinity? Three persons. Well, because how God reveals himself in three persons reveals the personal nature of his relationship with us. Watch this. It's captured in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14. There are several verses in the Bible where all three members of the Trinity are in the same verse. This is one of them. And I want to read it to you from the message paraphrase because it really highlights what I'm talking about, the personal nature of God. He says, the amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. So here's this benediction that Paul is giving in his book, the second Corinthians. And he's saying, I want you to understand the amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ. And I want you to experience the extravagant love of God, the father and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. I think this here is the key to making prayer personal and making it powerful. Let me, let me go through step by step. Paul says, when we come to God, we want to approach God through the amazing grace of Jesus. We get to pray because of the amazing grace of Jesus. Remember, before Jesus died, we had no way to get to God. We had no way to come into God's presence, but Jesus made a way for us through the price of his blood. His blood paid the price for us to have fellowship with God once again. And so how do I get to pray? Because of the amazing grace of Jesus. And, and I love the way the Bible pictures Jesus here in Hebrews chapter four. He says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's what the Bible is saying. When we come to prayer, we've got to realize that, our, that, that the reason we get to pray is because of the amazing grace of Jesus, and he is our high priest, right? So I don't need to go to a priest to pray for me. Some of you have a Catholic background, and you're used to going to a priest to pray for you because of Jesus. You don't have to do that anymore. You get to go to God yourself, and the Bible says, watch this, that, that Jesus Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. And because he was tempted in every way that you and I were. Let me me illustrate how I think this works in prayer. So let's say I go to prayer and I'm praying. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Uh Uh-oh. So I'm talking to Jesus about my failures. I'm talking to him about my struggles. And I'm saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And maybe Jesus says, hold on a second, Wayne. And Jesus takes that request. And he goes to the Father. Dad, Wayne was just praying. He's going through some stuff. I went through that too, Dad. And it's really hard. Let's help him. Send some angels. Some ministering spirits. Do you get this? Jesus gives us grace and he sympathizes with our weakness and he's our high priest to God the Father. And when I understand that, I'm gonna talk to Jesus a lot because he's helping me. And then he goes on to say, the extravagant love of God the Father. This is so powerful. When I come to God in prayer, I am addressing God as Father. And look what Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Why does Paul paint this picture of kneeling before the Father? Well, reverence and humility. I'm sure those are all reasons he says this. But you got to understand that in Jewish culture, a, a, a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl would come into a room Uh, where their father was, and they would kneel out of respect. But it was also so that the father would reach down, place his hand on their shoulder, lift them up, and embrace them. And that's prayer. That's what prayer is. Why do I kneel before the father? Because I want him to put his hand on me. I want him to lift me up, put his arms around me, because he's my dad. Come on, you got to get this. I know that some of you, when you hear the word father, you think of pain or hurt or rejection or loss. And it's hard for you to even think about God as father. That's why we have freedom groups. That's why it's so important that everybody goes to a freedom group because we got to deal with our yesterdays. We got we to get our hearts healed so that we can approach God in the right way, right? And so I, I, was, I was fortunate uh, in my life to have a great dad. He was far from perfect, but he loved me and he told me that. 
And, 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 and so I, I don't have any problem approaching God this way as my dad because that's, that's a joy to me. But some of you have it and, and you need to get the right picture of God in your mind because some of you uh, come to God and, and you're addressing God in a very uh, fearful way, in a very distant way because God, you see God as an abuser, you see God as a controller, but that's not the God of the Bible. In Psalm 103, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Your favorite verse in the whole Bible, he will not treat you as you deserve. That's awesome. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children. Some of you are going to get set free when you get this. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Get this. I have two boys. I love them. I want them to come to me and talk to me about stuff, the good stuff and the bad stuff, the easy stuff and the hard stuff. My heart is to give them everything they want. Now, the problem is I actually have to fight to not give them everything they want because that's not actually good for them, right? As a dad, I want them to be fully blessed. I want them to be fully equipped. I want them to be successful. Your father is the same way. Your heavenly father wants you to win. He wants your relationships to be blessed. He wants everything you put your hand to. to the greatest revelation you'll ever receive in your life is that when you get saved, you are now a son, a daughter of the most high God who owns everything, right? Who has power over everything. And who loves you extravagantly. See, when I go to pray, I'm going to talk to my dad. There's an old song that says, Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's another old song that says, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Because we don't carry all those things to God in prayer. He loves us. Last one, Paul says, I want you to experience the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus, and I want you to experience the extravagant love of God the Father, but in prayer, I want you to understand the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. I think this is so good, because I think if there's one person of the Godhead that gets misunderstood more than any other, it's the Holy Spirit. Because we've seen Jesus in movies, right? We kind of have a picture of what he probably looked like. All of us have a father, so we get that. You know, God is a father. But what about that ghost thing? <laughs> the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. Some of us are actually afraid of the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe you're new to a spirit-filled church. We are a spirit-filled church. And maybe you've had some negative experiences or maybe somebody has said, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Let, me, let, me, let me help you out. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. 
Holy Spirit is not weird. Paul said, the Holy Spirit's your friend. Watch how this works. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I'm gonna ask the Father, and he's gonna give you another counselor to be with you forever. Spirit of truth. Here's what sets the Holy Spirit apart from God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. When we leave church today, when I get up from my place in my time of prayer, Holy Spirit goes with me. He goes with me. I don't have to meet him at church. I don't have to meet him just in my prayer place. He's going to work with me. He's going to church with me. He's going to my family with me. And watch this. The Bible says he's, he's your counselor. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. And if we'll learn to listen to Holy Spirit, he'll begin to whisper into our spirit. He'll give us direction about decisions that we need to make, right? And when we make stupid choices, he'll go, mm. what's he trying to do? Is he trying to control you? No, 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 no. He's trying to keep you on a path that will lead to fruitfulness and joy and blessing. He's trying to keep you off the path that's, lead you, that's gonna lead you to destruction and pain. Let me stop right there. Somebody's watching right now. I feel the Holy Spirit saying to me, somebody's watching right now, or you're in this room, and you feel like God is trying to control you. He is not trying to control you. He loves you. His plan for you is a good plan, and that conviction is life to you. He's trying to guide you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to lead you to a hope and a future. You just got to learn to trust him. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans not to harm you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, when I come to God and I pray this way, all of a sudden it gets very personal. And prayer changes from this obligation to this experience. And it truly becomes fellowship with God. Now listen, prayer is a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline that we have to choose to do that we need to make up our minds. I'm gonna make it a priority. I'm gonna have a place. I'm gonna have a plan. But I promise you, if you will begin to make it happen, there will become a personal level of your walk with God that you have never known before. Around here, we talk about, we want people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make, make a difference. The most important step is the knowing God part. And when we say know God, we're not talking about pray a prayer and somehow I check the box, I'm going to heaven. No, 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 don't you settle for that. When we say no God, we want you to know the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And we want you to know the extravagant love of the Father. And we want you to know the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit because that will change your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I don't know God that way. I don't know God uh, intimately. I don't consider God my friend. I, I, and, and my father, no. Can I tell you, today is the best day of your life to make a decision. You know what? I'm going to surrender my life to God because I want to know him. I want to know him personally. I want to follow him. I want to hear his voice. You may be far from God. You may be a prodigal. You may have done some amazingly bad things. So thank God for the amazing grace of Jesus Christ who can save you 
if you'll trust him, if you'll follow him. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I need to know God. I want to know him. I don't want to know God in a religious way. I want to know God in a personal way. Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your extravagant love. Come on, everybody pray this. Jesus Christ, thank you for your amazing grace. Holy Spirit, thank you for being my friend. I surrender my entire life to you. You're a good father, and I trust you. From this day forward, my life is yours. Help me to build a lifestyle of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it and share it online or jump on the website at graceassembly.org and click the giving link so that we can continue to spread the message of Jesus all around the world. Have a blessed day. We'll see you next week.